So, we are finishing up today the series Godonomics. We've been talking about this in, in, in this area uh, for several weeks now, about three or four months. And, and the reason we've spent so much time on it is it, it's going back to the idea is what does God say about anything? Because the truth is, is that when we talk about finances, money, anything like that, it's we have our way of doing things. We get in a rut, we do the same things the same way, we have our ideas. There are a lot of different theories on money. Right? There's a lot of different theories on economics, and we've talked about it. You see it in the country today, all, all about it, uh, with the idea of socialism that's become so popular recently in our culture, even though that it has failed everywhere it's gone. And they can make all the excuses they want, and they can say, oh, well, it would work here. The bottom line is this. When you take something from somebody else to give it to a different individual, it takes away the incentive for that individual to better themselves. Everybody has equal opportunity in this country. The guarantee is not the outcome. The guarantee is the opportunity. You can come here and you can make something of yourselves. It's up to you. What you do, the decisions you make ultimately have impact in, in, in your life. The financial decisions what you make when you are young impact you down the road. If you are smart with your money and you don't go and waste every bit of it and you start investing at a very young age when you are ready to retire, if you've done well and made, made smart decisions, you retire very well. If you waste all your money and you squander it and whatnot, not going to happen for you. And so when we look at this, we begin to look at the ideas of what does God have to say about finance. And God looks at it from three different perspectives. This is all biblical, that we have three things that we do. We first have liberty. We have prosperity and we have generosity. The liberty aspect is we have the freedom to choose to do with what we want. We have a freedom in life. We choose to follow God or we choose not to follow God. If we choose to follow God, then we choose whether we're going to obey Him in anything, or we choose not to. We can give our hearts to the Lord. Do you realize that you can be born again and never truly surrender your heart completely to God? You may have gotten out of what we call fire insurance. Yes, I may be going to heaven, but that might be the extent of it for me. Because I don't want to follow God in this area. Finances is a big one. I'm telling you what, it amazed me. I have seen more people get mad during sermons talking about finances. I watched a guy storm out of a church one time when they were teaching on tithing. Because he said, I'm not going to have somebody tell me what I'm going to do with my money. Even if that somebody is God. And that's where it is. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And that's biblical. And so when we look at this stuff, it's like, okay, we have freedom to do it. We can do with it what we want. We can pay our tithe, pay 10% of our income, or we can choose not to. It's up to us. There's no rule. There's nothing that says that you have to do it. It's saying that you should do it. But out of that liberty leads to prosperity, that God wants us to be prosperous. This is not a four-letter word. Doing well financially is a good thing. It is the plan of God. We were talking about this this morning, as a matter of fact, um, in Bible study, which if you don't come, you really should. She's just starting on the book of Ephesians, and she, she talked a little bit about Ephesians, and then I think somebody derailed the conversation a little bit, but um, that wasn't me. Okay, it was me. Um, but, but we were talking about Jewish people as an example. There's all these, these jokes that are out there that Jewish people are just, they're rich, they've got money, and, and all of that. You know, I think I may have told this joke before, but it's a new one. Did you hear about the new Jewish car that they just rolled out the other day? It stops on a dime, and then it picks it up. You know, it, it, all these things, talked about the, the concept is like when you go and negotiate, what do they say? You jewed them down, Right? I was telling them, uh, Kyle brought that up this morning, it wasn't until four or five years ago that I made the connection of what that was saying. I just thought it was a weird word that we said. 
You know, never even made the connection. Why do they say that? And I asked our Jewish missionary, Raleigh, he's over in Israel right now, please do be, continue to be praying for him. Um, as I told you, he's working on getting his citizenship so he can be over there full time. And, but anyway, I said, what is the deal with this? Why is it about the Jews? And he said, from a very young age when you're a Jewish, that you are taught about money and it is not ostracized. You are taught to be smart with it, invest it well, save for a rainy day, put, make your money make you money. Things like that. But in our culture, what do we do? We look down upon the rich. We look down upon those that have done whatever it takes to make wealth and create wealth. And we look down upon it as like, well, you don't want to be like them. We also live for the pleasures of the moment. we got to have whatever we want right now. We don't put things off until later. And in a Jewish culture, that's not what they do. They do the exact opposite. Well, guess what the Jewish culture is? It's all through the Bible. The concept of putting money away and saving it for a rainy day and investing it well is all throughout Scripture. And we've looked at that. We've looked at that uh, uh, in, in depth. So prosperity is not a bad thing. But the most important is generosity. Is that you have freedom to do with it what you want. And if you do well, you will be prosperous. There's no way around it. If you are obedient to the things of God, you will be prosperous. Does prosperous mean you're going to have six houses and seven boats and 14 cars? Not necessarily. But all your needs will be met. Everything will be taken care of. And you'll have money to give and take care of people if you follow the godly principles. But we should be generous with this because who does it belong to? It ultimately should belong to God. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit more today. You see, out of this concept comes this next one. We talked about this, that we produce something. We either trade hours for dollars. We create a product that which somebody wants to buy or a service that somebody wants to buy into. Some of you guys grow crops that you can sell. Sometimes you don't sell them for as much as you like, but you still sell them. And out of that, we should produce a profit. And from that profit, we should have savings. And the savings can be done with three things. We can spend it on what we want, we can invest it, or we can give it away. And the truth is, we should be doing all of those things. There should be a balance of that. It should be systematic. It should be a principle that we look at. It's like we need to be investing money. If you're in business or you're a farmer or whatever the case may be, you should reinvest it back into your business to grow the ability, the streams of income that they can come in. We should spend it and enjoy some of it, but we should be giving it also. Because are there people out there that are hurting and need help? Absolutely. Are there people out there that are hurting and need help because of poor decision making? Absolutely. Do you realize that sometimes the thing that you give is not necessarily money? The thing that you give is time and education? The thing that you give is, is a, a soft heart? That sometimes the worst thing you can do is hand somebody a check because now you're enabling them? You see, what this giving is more than just finances. And we should be, continue this as, as we take this, it enables us to produce more, thus we can profit more, thus that we can save more, and it continues this, this, this uh, balloon. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. These are all biblical principles. We've gone through scriptures and looked at these concepts and said, okay, God, well, this is how you want us to do it. But the problem is when we look at this, we say, okay, God, I know that's what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. We do that on everything. We do that in every aspect of our life. We do that in the church. We do it with finances. You see, the thing that we have to remember is God is not after your checkbook. He's after your heart. And if He has your heart, He'll have your checkbook. But you know what else He'll have? He'll have your attention. He'll have your time. He'll have everything. Because a heart sold out to God is willing to give everything to Him. God's after at heart. But there's somebody that makes promises, just like God, that if you will bow down and worship me, 
I'll give you all the kingdoms that you see. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll make sure you're respected. If you bow down and worship me, I'll make you famous. I'll make you rich. I'll make sure you would never have a need. And that is Mammon. And here's a picture of him. Two different drawings. Here's the one that looks like Jabba the Hud. We don't have a direct piece of artwork, but this is known as Mammon. He was a Syrian god of wealth. And Mammon here, you see he's got these people under him. Here you see another picture of him. He's holding up the uh, denarii. He's got the chain around the forehead held to him, bowing down and worshiping all for the sense that I want that. The problem is with Mammon is he makes promises that he cannot keep. He writes checks that he cannot cash. He says, if you'll just go to the next thing, if you'll go to the next thing, Because the thing is, guys, if money solves a problem, then the problem was not that great to begin with. In the eyes of God, money's nothing more than a tool. Resources are nothing more than a tool. I mean, God paves roads with gold. I don't think money has anything to do with it. It's where is your heart? Are we bowing down before mammon? We're saying, okay, God, I'm willing to do anything. I'm not saying we shouldn't work. We absolutely should work. A man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. This idea that we should not do anything. I mean, it was kind of the, you know, the new green deal that came out just recently. You saw that this is the idea of socialism. And it says that we will provide a, a living wage for people who are unable or unwilling to work. Now, if you were promised a living wage and you had to do nothing to get it, how many of you guys are going to go, well, I'll go work anyway? Most of us wouldn't. Why would you? There's no incentive. You know, the reason they have to pay you to go to work it's because it's work. It's not because it's fun, because it's work. If it was fun, they wouldn't have to pay you to go there. Has anybody had to pay somebody to go ride a roller coaster? No. Most people are willing to do it for free. Well, they pay to go, actually. So when we look at mammon, he is saying, if you'll bow down and worship me, that's the same thing that God says. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. It's the same thing. Mammon is trying to take the place of Jesus in your life. We're going to see that happen. You see it in the book of Revelation. You see it talked about in the book of Thessalonians. We're going to watch that happen. Hopefully from a very high place. But we're going to watch that happen in this earth where the Antichrist will come. Anti is not against Christ. It is the pseudo-Christ. It is the like Christ taking the place of Christ saying, listen, I can bring peace. Trust me. If you just trust me, I'll take care of you. And people are willing to do anything for security to get the desires of their heart. It's the same thing. The spirit of mammon and the spirit of antichrist are the exact same thing. You see, when it comes to tithing, it is God's money according to God. Hey, this is mine. Bring back the tithe. Steward it well. Bring it back. That's all I ask. Bring it. That belongs to me. The 90% is all yours. Tithe is not a fixed number, it is a percentage. It's always a percentage, it always has been a percentage. But we try to do things on our own. We say, okay, well, I'm just going to do this, this is easier. But offerings are completely up to us. We do with it what we want. We bring it if we choose to. If we hear about a need and we want to meet it and we're able to meet it, we choose whether we want to do that or not. Because we have to decide, are we going to put our trust in mammon, in money, in resources, in jobs, in farms, and all of that? Or are we going to put our trust in God? We have to decide. Now, we will say with our lips, oh, I trust God in all things. But our hearts are far from Him because we don't. Our actions do not meet our words. Because when things get rough, we panic. 
will do anything to, to make it better. And life happens sometimes, right? Sometimes things happen unexpectedly. You, don't, you can't plan for it. It's just the way it goes. Are we going to trust God? Is He going to meet the need? Is He going to take care of us? If we're trusting Him, if we're being obedient to Him, absolutely. And the reason that we give to God is not because we trust money. It's because we love God. We are motivated by love. Everything we do in this life, we should be motivated by love. We have to define that word in today's culture. Love is not a feeling. It is not an expression of gratitude. Love is a decision that you make. And that because I love God, I love God because He first loved me while I was still a sinner. Therefore, because I love God, I love all that He created. And because I love all that He created, then I am willing to make my life uncomfortable to go and tell those people that I know are going to hell, to tell them that there is a way, that they don't have to die in sins. That I am willing to stand up and tell them the truth, even if it's uncomfortable for them and uncomfortable for me, because I love them. I will not be quiet when culture says that I have to. When they try to tell me, that no, don't talk about that, you can address anything, but leave that alone. I will not. I remember I was, I was speaking at a baccalaureate one time, which is a, a thing for graduating seniors, and there's a couple, two, three hundred people in the room, and the, I was the keynote that night, but the lady that got up before me, she got up and, and says, you know, I don't, I don't believe that we should talk about our faith, because it's a personal and it's a private thing, and we should, we should keep that inside, and as soon as I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat, I'm like, that ain't, that ain't biblical, so I left my notes sitting on the chair, I'm like, well, I know where I'm talking about now. And I got up there and I said, let me tell you why your faith shouldn't be private. Because Jesus wasn't killed privately. And He didn't raise from the dead privately to a small audience for just a few. And the disciples didn't risk their lives just to have a little tiny relationship with God. He says, go to the four corners of the earth and preach the gospel and make disciples. And if you don't talk about it and you don't live it, you'll never make them. Disciples are never born, they're always made. See, that's the problem we have today. We don't want to do what God says. We want to do it our way. This lady, well-intentioned lady, okay, she doesn't mean wrong, but where on earth did the Bible say, listen, your, your religious beliefs are just to be kept over here in this, this corner, and just don't make a lot of noise. Don't, don't ruffle the water any, you know, just, just leave things alone. Jesus came in like a wrecking ball. He came in and, and threw the system completely out of whack. The Pharisees were freaking out. They are paying people off to say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. You guys fell asleep, and the disciples, they came in, and they stole the body. That's what happened. Tell them that. When Lazarus is raised from the dead, they're, they're trying to kill him. we got to make this go away, because these things kind of prove that he's the Messiah, and if he's the Messiah, he's done nothing but get on to us this entire time. They'll do anything to keep power. God, I know this is what you said. Let me tell you what you meant. We cannot be like that. We are motivated by love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that while we were still sinners, He first loved us. Not because we deserved it, but because He decided to. So I love God, and so because of that, I will be motivated by love in all aspects. And in that love of God, I find contentment on this earth. I will be content in everything. Paul talks about it. I've been rich, I've been poor. I've been hungry, I've been full. But I do it all with the grace of God. He found contentment no matter where he was. And your life does not compare to his in the least. You know, sometimes we have a bad day, but our bad day is better than most of the world's best day. 
we have it pretty good here, sometimes too good. Sometimes I kind of wish that we didn't. Sometimes I kind of wish that we'd get a little more uncomfortable. But the bottom line is this, is that I find contentment in God because He is all we need. And we say that all the time, but we don't live it. And I'm not trying to act like I do, you know, perfectly either. See, we're not to be covetousness. We're not to be like that, seeking something else. Just the desires of my heart are something greater than God. That should never be what it is. It's just things are good. It's nothing wrong with wanting something and enjoying something that God has provided for you. But it shouldn't be so to the point that we were willing to sacrifice all for it. Our lives belong to God. You see, Lucifer wanted to be just like God. I will raise my throne. It couldn't go above God, and he knew that. But I'll be like the Most High. And in the same breath, he goes down and he talks to Eve, and he's like, listen, I know you think that God said don't eat of this fruit, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to be just like him. You'll know good and evil. And, and he talked her into it. And she's like, you know, it does... It is a nice looking tree, and the fruit looks good for food, and it makes one wise. I want to be wise. I know God said not to do this, but it's going to make me like him. It's surely okay. I mean, I know that's what he said, but maybe that's not what he meant. And she ate of the fruit, bringing death and sickness and all of that to the world. The Pharisees spent their entire time, Jesus said, you are trying to justify yourselves. They were lovers of money, lovers of attention. When they fast, they would look like they're fasting and they would go and parade themselves around so everybody knew that they were this pious, religious person. They would, when they gave, they made a big deal out of it when they did all of this stuff because they were trying to justify themselves in the eyes of man. You realize that you can't even justify yourselves in the eyes of God. Only God can justify us and make us right by His gift. You see, this is the problem. When you break it all down, when you look at all of it, it has to do with pride. Pride tells us that we can do this on our own. Look at the world around us. Go around. Ask some people, how do you get to heaven? The answers will vary. But the one you don't hear often enough is you must be born again. The one you hear often or in some capacities like, well, you're a good person. I was baptized. I did these different things. And therefore, I'm going to heaven. You see, that's pride saying, okay, thanks God for the work that you did, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just keep plugging away and I'm going to do my part to make sure that I get to heaven. When Ephesians says that we are saved to good works and not by good works, because if we're saved by good works, then we could brag about it. But who gets the glory in our salvation? It is God. When things are good in our lives, who should get the glory? It should always be God. But it's not. We take it upon ourselves. Pride tells us that we can do it on our own. It tells us that we can do it our way. But God said there is one way, an only way. Narrow is the road that leads to salvation. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. And yet, what do we keep doing? It's like, well, God, I know you got this tiny road, but if we just widen this a little bit, we could get more people in. And that's what we see happening all across the country. We see churches every single day. They are making compromise on their standing, on what Scripture says, all for an effort to be relevant. They no longer preach the Word. They preach uh, uh, messages of hope and messages that make you feel good and you leave inspired. And I think we should leave inspired. But if that inspiration doesn't come from the Word of God, then that inspiration will go away the second trouble comes. Look at the parable of the four soils. 
It was like, you've got one where the, the birds come in and devour the seed and they don't become born again. He takes the seed from their heart, lest they be saved. And then you've got two others where the seed was planted and it took root. But either the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, or life happens and it never bears any fruit. But there was one soil that was good and it produced a good fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. Where do we want to be? I hope we want to produce good fruit. But how do we do this? How do we produce good fruit? It was the word that we brought up last week. Stewardship. Stewardship is the only way that we can produce good fruit. Now, to understand this, just kind of going back, we don't own it. Right? Talking about, we read that passage out of Matthew where we're talking about stewardship and all of that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The, the, the money belonged to the, the rich master. But they were to steward the, word, the money well and deal with it and produce an income. Two of them did it. One of them did not. He was called wicked. So we got to understand, I don't own it. It belongs to God. The second thing is, I'm a steward. Good or bad, I am a steward. So we're either going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or we're not. And what we steward. But the question is, is what, is, what are we stewarding? When we look at this, do you hear the word steward? We immediately, we think of money. That's what it's been taught. That's what it's always been taught. That you should be a good steward with your finances. And that is absolutely correct. But if we stop there, we miss it all. Let's get into the word. Let's open to Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Now, let's stop there. What does that word if mean? It implies that you may not be. So if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Which means if you're not, you're not going to look up there anyway. How are we raised with Christ? This is where the concept of born, born again is. So if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is, is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now think about this. What do we spend our entire lives doing from the moment that we enter into school? You got to get good grades because you got to get into a good college. You got to get into a good college so that you can graduate with that diploma so you can go and get you a good job. And you got to find you a good job because you need to spend your entire waking life making an income. That way you can put money away. That way you can be comfortable and retire well. Is that seeking those things which are above? Or are we seeking after riches? None of that stuff is bad. Getting good grades is good. Going to a good college is good. Getting a good job. All good things, but should we be seeking it? Or should we be seeking things which are above? Remember, look at the principle of the Sabbath. God says, listen, I want you to rest on the sixth day. I want you to allow the land to rest every seventh year. Okay? I want you guys to do that. And if you do this, and as well as keep my other commandments, you will be prosperous. doesn't make any sense, but they were seeking those. And then Jesus said that if you seek first my kingdom, and my righteousness, all these things, talking about the things that we need, our clothing, our money, our food, all of that, will be taken care of if we seek first Him. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. 
But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you, so you must also. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom and teaching, and in admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace and your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now let's stop there for a minute. He goes into all of this stuff. Paul's saying, you need to do this stuff. Put on this. Get rid of that. And then in verse 17, he says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, in the words that you say, in the things that come out of your mouth, and the actions that you take, you do it for the glory of God. That's called stewarding your life. We think stewardship, we think about our money. But whatever I do, in the words I speak or the actions I take, I do it for God. You see, the ultimate stewardship, when this all breaks down to what God says about money, He says where your treasure is, there your heart is. So where's your treasure? Is it up here in the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Or is it after the things that we need, the things that we want? If the desire of your heart is not God and God alone, then the desire of your heart is off. We seek first the kingdom. So whatever we do, he's telling you, hey, put off all this stuff. Filthy language out of your mouth. Anger, wrath, malice. I mean, it's amazing when you you think about it. We have born-again believers who love God, but sometimes the stuff that comes out of their mouth, you're like, oh my goodness. But Paul says to put this stuff off. Don't lie to one another. This is the old man, his deeds. But you should put on tender mercy. And you should put on kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering. Bearing one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. But whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God because we are going to steward our lives. We are going to steward our children. We are going to steward our resources. We are going to steward our time because everything belongs to God. Verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. My favorite verse. I will not make eye contact with Amy. I'm going to read that again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husband, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. This is Colossians chapter 3. Guys, what are we talking about here? Everything we do, we do it for the Lord. We do it for the glory of God. 
You see, when you're talking about bond service, this was, was a work contract, basically, is that I would borrow money from you because I don't have the ability to buy some, pay something, whatever, and I go ready to work for you for a certain amount of time in exchange for that. Now, many times, these people were well off, and so they would, these, these uh, bond service would continue to work for them for a wage and whatnot because they were well taken care of. But it says, don't just obey in some things. Don't just do eye service. Don't just do well when they're looking. Don't just try to please them, but with sincerity of heart and fearing God, obey them in all things, even when they're not looking. Today, the way we would look at this is in our jobs and the things we do. It's the going the extra mile. It always bothered me when I would hear somebody say that when there was a business that they were working in and there was something that needed to be done, like, well, I don't get paid to do that. That's probably true, but does it need to be done? Because are we doing our work unto the Lord? Or are we not? Do you realize that the work you do is an incredible testimony? The way that we carry ourselves in business and the way that we carry ourselves at our jobs is such an incredible testimony to the goodness of God. Willing to go the extra mile. When, even when nobody's looking, doing the right thing. Doing it because we love God. We do it unto the Lord and to serve Him because we serve the Lord Christ. This is the idea. Everything that we have and everything that we are is stewarding to God. In our worship, we are stewarding our time. When we come to church, we are stewarding our time to come together, as, as Paul said, that do not neglect the gathering of yourself. And the principles in the Old Testament that we come in, and we're equipped and we're built up, but then we go out to do the work of the ministry. We get so hung up in our lives and the things that we have to do that we don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable because we're not stewarding ourselves well. We're not stewarding ourselves the way Jesus did. See, Jesus came down sacrificing everything, giving His life willingly because He loved us, and yet we can't even get uncomfortable for Him. We get a little snow outside, and like, man, I don't want to go out today. You know, I got things to do. Oh, better, something better came along. We have to steward our time. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Boy, that verse right there, if we just did that, imagine what the world would be like. Because we have the exact opposite. We have this mind mentality. This is mine. I don't want to share. If I give this to you, then I won't have enough. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and its fullness. So you've got to understand what's going on here. Is in, in Corinth, where this is at, they would sacrifice meat to these idols. And they weren't, Jews were not supposed to eat that. And the Gentiles were said, listen, don't anything sacrificed to idols, anything with the blood in it, don't just don't eat that. That was Acts 15. And Paul's saying, now listen, you may not know what's going on. Just don't sweat it. Because it may be lawful for me to do this, and it's okay. But does it edify? Does it build up? That's true of a lot of things. It may be okay for me to partake in something, but does that in any way bring glory to God? If any one of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. So if an unbeliever invites you in, don't worry about it. If it's sacrifice at all, it's okay. Because it doesn't matter. Because this isn't a law as into the Old Testament law where it's like, okay, if you, miss, you do this wrong, you're, you're out of fellowship. 
If anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and all his fullness. Conscious, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food of which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we have the same concept again. Is Paul saying, listen, you have opportunities here. If somebody invites you in and they, 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 they feed you, don't worry about where the food came from. It doesn't matter. Just eat it. Partake of it and be thankful. But if somebody comes to you and says, listen, that was sacrificed idol. You shouldn't be eating that. Okay, I don't need it. It's for the glory of God. Do it all. Whether I eat, drink, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. That's what we need in the body of Christ today. Is that everything that we do, we do it for the glory of God. Because we are going to steward all things and we're going to steward them well. This ultimately comes down to Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That sacrifice should be holy and acceptable to God. It's our reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. It is our reasonable service that our bodies are a living sacrifice. Those are what we call oxymorons. Because to sacrifice something in this time means that we kill it. So for it to live would not be a sacrifice. But in this instance, Paul here is saying that, listen, you should sacrifice your flesh and the desires that that it has For the glory of God. It's our reasonable service to be a living sacrifice. That our life should be holy and acceptable to Him. But this is where we miss it. Because we no longer let our lives be stewarded by God. And led by God. But we seek the desires of what we want. And not what He wants. We don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable. We want to do things our way. You see this all the time in churches. You see it it happens constantly. That when somebody doesn't get their way, what do they do? They get mad. They start stirring up dissension. Sometimes they leave because they didn't get their way. But yet, in worship, we come and we're seeking the desires and the benefit of those around us. I mean, I've seen it in churches that I've been a part of where they didn't like the music, or the music was too loud, or those songs are too new, or whatever the case may be. Because they were making it all about them. And instead of making it about those others, you know, sometimes here's what happens. Another thing is that you get somebody who's mature in the faith and you get a bunch of new believers that start coming in and they give their heart to the Lord where they don't know these things. They don't know all the stuff that you know. And so the teaching starts going geared towards them a little bit and these people start getting upset because, well, we're not going deep enough. We're not going far enough. I just don't like that, so I'm not going to come. Instead of coming alongside and saying, hey, let's help build these people up. Let's help disciple them. Let's help teach them. Let's answer the questions. Because we've all been through it. We've all had those tough questions and, and not to know what to do in a certain situation. Let's use that time and opportunity to glorify God. We don't do it. We are not willing to live our lives for Him. We all make the statement, I'm willing to lay my life down for Him. But we need to be willing to live our lives for Him. We would rather be liked. We'd rather be popular. We'd rather have things. We'd rather do all sorts of stuff outside of living our lives for God. That's why I made this statement earlier. You can be born again 
and never surrender your heart fully to God. You may have made Him your Savior, but have you made Him your Lord? Is He ruler of all? Are you obedient in all things? Are we living as a sacrifice that is holy and pleasing before God? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to His disciple, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Rich man comes to Jesus, hey, what do I got to do? You know, he says, well, you got to love God and keep the commandments. Well, I've done that since I was a kid. Well, then good, go, go sell everything you have. Because Jesus knew everything he had is what controlled him. He was a rich man, and he couldn't do it. And a lot of guys today would just chase after him, like, well, you don't have to sell everything, just maybe a few things or whatever. But Jesus wouldn't do this. Like, listen, if you're going to follow me, you need to sacrifice your flesh. It's an example to us, that we sacrifice what we want, our desires, and we're going to follow him, and we'll let nothing hold us back. We will serve God with all that we have. You see, this is the principle behind everything. Finances is a symptom of the heart. The way we behave with our finances is nothing more than a, a symptom of where our heart is. Where your heart is and where your treasure is, there your heart is. You see, that's just an example. But where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, a lot of times in the church today, especially in the American church, because discipleship and evangelism has been lost in this country of what it originally was. And what it's become is a program inside of a church structure. That is on the church structure to have where people can come in and hear the message of the gospel. And then if they get born again, then it is up to the church structure to start teaching them the principles of Scripture. And it's been put on the church structure, even though that biblically, that was always put on you and I. That we are disciples making disciples that we go into the world and preach the gospel and we come alongside these people and we build them up and we encourage them and we pray for them and if they trip and fall we help pick them up and we help dust them off that's why in ephesians where paul says that god's given his pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles to train up to equip the saints for the work of the ministry not to do the work of the ministry. See, that's been lost in today's culture because our lives are not living sacrifices. We are not willing to take up our cross and follow Him. We've made Jesus our Savior, but have we truly made Him our Lord? Are we willing to set aside our desires and wants and our needs for somebody else's benefit? Yeah, yeah, I wish this was different. I wish it was like this way. I, I heard a, uh, uh, this was years ago, but down at a Hillsong conference, if you guys are familiar with Hillsong, they've got an incredible Band. I mean, their music is amazing. And um, there was an 86-year-old woman and this big conference, and she's got her hands up, and she's just worshiping God. And that kind of music is usually lost on 86-year-old women. Let's just be honest. She came from the days where you just sang out of the hymns, and that was it. And you may have had a piano or an organ. You may not have even had that and, and stuff. And somebody, uh, and I don't remember who I heard this story from, but somebody had asked her, he's like, you know, it's really great to see you in to this modern music and stuff for worship. She's like, oh, I hate this music. I, I hate it. It's awful. And he's like, oh. He's like, but she said, 
but look at all these young people worshiping God. She's like, that's what I love. It wasn't what she wanted. It was what they wanted, what they needed. But we get so caught up, we become fat babies. We're just like, feed me, clothe me, make me happy, make me feel good. All of this other stuff. Instead, it's like, what can I do for you today, God? What can I do to serve you? How can my life today be a reflection of who you are? What can I do to get out of my comfort zone and go out there and make disciples today? I remember hearing a story. I think it was, um, oh, who's the Scottish preacher? Fireball. Real aggressive guy. You guys, you know, and you know who I'm talking about. His name is slipping my mind. I think he was Scottish. Was he not Scottish? Oh, I'll think of it. Anyway, this guy made a commitment that every day he was going to talk to somebody about Jesus. Every day. One person, every single day. And uh, Smith Wigglesworth, that's what I'm thinking of. Smith Wigglesworth. Huh? He was Scottish? Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe he wasn't. Listen, his name, we got his name now. Who cares where he came from? Smith Wigglesworth, wherever he's from. And uh, I get these old guys mixed up. He's from like the 1800s and stuff. And anyway, every day he said, I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus. And he said, you know, he'd get caught up and get busy in the day and he'd go home and he'd sit down at night and he's tired. He just kind of wants to hang out. And then he'd remember, oh, I didn't talk to anybody today. So he'd get up, he'd leave the house and he'd just start knocking on doors until somebody answered and he'd talk to him about Jesus and he evangelized tons and tons of people that way. Now, most of us would never do that. If we made that kind of commitment, God, every day I'm going to talk to somebody about you and we get home and we didn't do it, like, I'll just talk to two tomorrow. And then two, you know, we'll miss the next day. We do it with our Bible reading. We do it with our prayer time. We do it with all these. We make these commitments to God. The bottom line, guys, is when we answer to God and He looks at us and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it is all going to be based on our stewardship. Because we are righteous in Him. The well done part has nothing to do with that. What did we do with our time here? What did we do with our resources? What did we do with the words that we speak, the actions we took? That is how we serve God. I have really enjoyed this series because we've got to understand that finances is nothing more than a symptom. We've got to get to the heart of the issue. We need a church not just here, but around the world, that has a heart for the Lord and the desires of God's heart. His desires that none should perish, but all find everlasting life. And if we as the body of Christ do not make ourselves uncomfortable and steward our time and resources well, that's never going to happen. There are people in your lives that do not know God. And we should take every effort we have to share the gospel with them.